Hello, and welcome to Haunted and Historic, where we talk about houses. Abandoned, historic, and sometimes haunted. I'm Courtney, and I will be your host. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Haunted and Historic. This is our first official episode of the Murder House series. I'm someone who is constantly asking myself, why am I doing something? I do it in everyday life, even when it's just wanting to go to the thrift store, even though I know I shouldn't be spending money on more home decor. But more so when I do things like watch horror movies or listen to a true crime video on YouTube. I spent a lot of time thinking about this question when I became interested in covering stigmatized properties, or rather, murder houses. I think true crime can quickly go into an inappropriate and unhealthy realm. However, I also think there is a natural curiosity and even a need to learn more about human behavior, as well as seek justice for the victims of these crimes. In regards to this series, it's really about how much I enjoy every aspect of houses, who lived there, what they were like, how the house was built, why it was built, and sometimes for how much money. That also includes when crimes are committed, when a house becomes the black hole of a community, when it's suddenly transformed from an inanimate object to seemingly a lead character role. Overall, this starts a conversation. It allows us to discuss how communities have been affected by tragedies and showcases the myriad of ways they've gone about their healing. The case of Shanann Watts was a case that was incredibly unsettling and one that I was following closely in real time. I watched the murderer's interview the day it went live and followed the news as each heartbreaking detail was released. I spent hours upon hours watching all of the live videos Shanann had filmed and spent time getting to know her and her two beautiful girls, Bella and Celeste. If you don't happen to know anything about the Watts family murder, I'll give you a very quick backstory of the case. On August 13th, 2018, Shanann Watts returned home from a business trip in Vegas. Her best friend, Nicole Atkinson, dropped her off at 2 a.m. that morning, waiting to back out of the driveway until Shanann had made it safely inside, unaware of what awaited her. In the morning, Nicole didn't hear from her best friend, which was highly unusual, especially given that Shanann was pregnant and had a doctor's appointment as she was 15 weeks along with a baby boy, who was to be named Nico. Nicole decided to call the police to report Shanann missing and do a welfare check. With Nicole on the scene at the house, police arrived and waited for Shanann's husband, Chris, to get there, since he'd been contacted at work regarding the missing status of his wife. The next day, on August 14th, Chris held an interview on Denver 7 News Channel to plead for the return of his pregnant wife and two young girls, Bella and Cece. The next day, on August 15th, he took a polygraph test and failed miserably, where he finally confessed to murdering Shanann and saying that she was the one who took the lives of the children, though a second confession has since taken place where he told the truth we've known all along, that he was responsible for the murder of Bella and Cece. On November 19, 2018, Chris was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Since his arrest on August 15, 2018, the house has been vacant, and that's where our episode begins. The Watts House at 2825 Saratoga Trail in Frederick, Colorado was built in 2013 when Chris and Shanann purchased it for $399,000. It is 4,200 square feet with five bedrooms, four bathrooms, and a three-car garage. After the murder, the house went into foreclosure and was on the market for a year without any interested buyers, before going up for auction on April 18, 2019. 
However, the auction was postponed to September of 2019, which was also then postponed indefinitely. I can't find any actual records that an auction has ever formally been held for the house. There are also several liens on the house by the mortgage lender, water company, and the HOA. On top of all of those, in February of 2021, Shanann's parents, Sandra and Frank Rusick, won a $6 million wrongful death lawsuit against Chris Watts, which was applied in the form of a lien on the home. According to everything I read, it is very unlikely that Sandra and Frank will ever see close to that amount, which their lawyer explained they already knew going in. There were several articles that said that the new home buyers would be responsible for paying that $6 million lien, which only added to the legal limbo that the house has stayed in. However, when I kept digging and looking for more qualified opinions on the matter, I found articles with statements from people who stated that if someone was interested in buying the house, Shanann's parents could relinquish the lien upon closing. Clark Dre is a bankruptcy attorney in the Denver area who works with foreclosed properties. He stated that in order to have a successful sale of this home, quote, a potential buyer would have to make a deal with the lien holders and have enough money to cover the original mortgage, end quote adding that situations like this are incredibly rare. Unfortunately, I'm not educated in the world of real estate and understanding all these details has been tough because this house is covered in a legal mess. I really wanted to find some comments from people in the real estate world around the Denver area and found several people who had their own thoughts to share. Previously mentioned, Clark Dre spoke with many publications about this property and will be referenced again throughout the episode. About the house, he said, quote, it's not getting any bids because people know the sordid history of the house and nobody wants it, end quote. Tanya Nelson is a real estate agent in the Denver area who said, quote, it's a great neighborhood of nicely built homes. It's family friendly. It's a great location. You can get to Denver quick from there. You can get to Boulder, but the crime was a huge deal. It was talked about for months. Everybody knows the story around here. It's a nice enough house and the neighborhood's awesome. It would have sold by now if someone local felt comfortable enough to buy it. If it sells at all, it will likely be to an out-of-state buyer, end quote. Oral Anderson is a real estate appraiser and founder of Strategic Property Analytics, who said, quote, The longer the house sits vacant, the bigger the discounts. And it's been vacant for over two years. When there are kids involved, the discounts are higher. People really don't like that, end quote. At first I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's true because like, obviously I'm an expert now that I spent some time researching Randall Bell and taking his word for everything. So I started looking up statistics and couldn't find anything regarding stigmatized properties and death of children. However, a quick Google search of Oral Anderson quickly informed me that Oral and Randall Bell work together. In 1992, they founded the real estate damages practice at Bell and Associates. I absolutely love when little details like this weave themselves together. Everything surrounding the availability of the house and the potential buyers has been extremely confusing and convoluted. First, you've got articles like those mentioned before in around 2019, stating that no one wants to buy the house because of its terrible history and heinous crime. By April of 2022, you've got articles stating, quote, I get calls once a week from people who want to buy that house, calls from people in Germany and people here locally. People want to buy it, but it can't be bought. It's hard for me to say what it's about. Some of it is morbid curiosity. Some of it is just people having a hard time getting a home in this market and they'll do whatever it takes, end quote. That was a quote from Dre, who was previously mentioned, being quoted about the unsellable nature of the house back in 2019. 
Apparently, after speaking to several publications regarding the bankruptcy and foreclosure process of the Watts house, he became inundated with calls from interested buyers. This could also be a result of the release of the documentary American Murder on Netflix in 2020. Regardless, that's a pretty drastic change in three short years. I also wanted to find comments from members of the community. Since the murder, there has been an insufferable amount of tourists and visitors to the house. People come and take pictures, selfies, and leave everything from stuffed animals and notes to food on the doorstep and sidewalk outside. Neighbors have resorted to putting up numerous signs discouraging this behavior and calling the police when necessary. Many neighbors have moved out due to the constant attention. One neighbor said, quote, You can always tell who they are because they'll cruise the neighborhood slowly and then they'll get out of their cars and take pictures of the house. Some of them even take selfies. It's gross. End quote. Another neighbor, Chuck Burr, lives two houses away from the Watts house. In an interview with Realtor.com, he said, quote, It's not kept up. It's just weeds overgrown and the grass is dead. Three or four cars drive by every hour, usually with out-of-state license plates, to stop and take photos. Recently, some folks stopped by with a ladder they used to try to get into the house. The police are often called because true crime aficionados are trying to break in. It's still going on, especially with the rollouts of the Netflix documentary and other specials. It's worse on the weekends. There will be people in the middle of the night. End quote. He also mentioned one of his neighbors moved away due to the impact from the attention the house was getting from visitors. Another neighbor who chose not to use her name stated, quote, It's a beautiful home. I would hate to see them just take it down. End quote. Regarding the visitors, this neighbor also said, quote, I totally understand everyone's interest in the home. I just would want to ask that people just be respectful because you are coming into the neighborhood of, you know, other people that live here. End quote. Neighbor Michelle stated, quote, Who would want to start their life in that house? I don't understand why they haven't just knocked it down and maybe made a little park out of it or something. End quote. Lastly, I looked on sites like Facebook and Reddit for this information and found many comments about the property. I don't want to shame anyone's ideas, but I was a little weirded out by how many people specifically mentioned turning the house into a museum or a memorial museum, as some said. I'm sure they're coming from a sincere and caring place, but that idea really just misses the mark for me personally. Usually when reading comments online, most are stating whether they themselves would ever feel comfortable living in a house like this where a horrific crime has occurred, as well as mentioning their preferred outcomes, demolition or building a park. One comment in particular read, quote, I lived in that neighborhood. Everyone tried to get it torn down and a playground built. The HOA will not allow it, end quote. Another person said that the lot can't be a park or a memorial because there wouldn't be any room for visitors to park, which is a good point given the location and proximity to the neighboring houses. In the last episode, I mentioned the option of changing the outside of the house to a very different color like bright white and black, but I didn't know it was an HOA development and that would most likely limit the options for color choices. I did see a few comments where people said it should be turned into a safe house for victims of domestic violence. I was surprised to read that the lawyer of Shanann's parents, Sandra and Frank Rusick, told CBS4 in 2019 that they had hoped that the house could serve as something similar to a battered women's shelter and serve as something for the good of the community. They were also not opposed to the idea of tearing it down to create a park that people could enjoy together. Shanann's father, Frank, did an interview with CBS4 on May 13th of 2022. He lives in North Carolina, where Shanann is originally from. 
From time to time, Frank will come back to Colorado to visit the home and perform a bit of upkeep on the property. In his interview, he reflected on the time he briefly lived with Shanann and the girls, saying, quote, I have a lot of memories. When I walk through that front door, I look up at the balcony, and that is where my grandgirls would be every day when I came home from work. To this day, I look at that balcony. It is very hard. You come back to this home, and there are a lot of memories. There are a lot. We will never forget. End quote. This is part of why I find this topic so interesting. I'm sure I've said it and I'll say it again. If I chose to buy a home where a murder was committed, I would want to make sure I was doing right by the victim's families, if at all possible. So long as the victim's family didn't want the house torn down, I would feel an obligation to make the home become a bright, happy place again. I would feel the need to plant a garden with a small plaque memorializing the people who lost their lives to acknowledge the incredible loss and carry on with a hopeful future, not only for my own family, but for the victim's family and everyone in that community. We can't forget those who came before us. We see this in the appreciation of historic buildings, and we see it in the unfortunate past of stigmatized properties. According to Realtor.com, the house is now appraised around $648,000, which is directly in line with what other five-bedroom, four-bathroom properties in the same neighborhood are selling for. This is also an interesting situation because in the last episode, we discussed the details of how a murder or crime can decrease the value of a house by 15 to 25%, and it can sit on the market 50% longer. I feel like everyone listening to this podcast right now can directly relate to the housing market changes that have happened in the last year or two. Houses are going for upwards of double what they were just two years ago. This makes for a different dynamic when the housing market is flipped, and it almost becomes a guaranteed immunity from vacancy when houses are being purchased at this rate and for exceedingly high asking prices. This reminded me of a case uncomfortably close to me. In May of 2020, in a city just a short 10-minute drive from me, a young woman by the name of Ashlyn Black was stabbed to death in the house of a man she had met on Tinder only a few hours earlier. I stalk the new house postings daily just because I like to study how the market is behaving and lust over dreamy properties. I was doing my normal scrolling when I saw a house with a light blue door, and I knew instantly it was the house. The time between the murder and the house selling was three months. The house was listed for sale less than a month before it sold in August of 2020, and they never even bothered to repaint the front door. As for the Watts house, it's hard to say what the outcome will be, or how much time will pass before a decision occurs. The most recent update we have at this time occurred on May 21st, 2022, roughly a week and a half ago, when the house on Saratoga Trail was listed for sale for $660,000. There are no pictures of the exterior and no listed address. In the description read, quote, If you are interested in this home, please submit a funding commitment letter from your bank for at least $660,000. Letters must be submitted by May 24th, 2022. We will contact you arranging a showing. There will be limited showings of the house, followed by the acceptance of bids with a minimum bid of $660,000. Buyer's agent must be present with you at your showing. Home is sold as is. Buyer to verify square footage. End quote. It was taken off the market and deleted from all listing sites on May 24th. There's no current update as to whether an offer has been made or accepted. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode. After I published my episode, The Introduction to Stigmatized Properties, I was talking to my best friend who grew up in Minnesota when the case of Jacob Wetterling was ongoing, and she was talking about how the murderer's house was ultimately bulldozed. 
She described the juxtaposition of an empty lot in a crowded neighborhood, referencing the last episode that demolishing the property doesn't take away the stigma. That conversation really made me think about how we all have a house near us or in our state that has these same circumstances and sometimes different outcomes. If you can relate to this at all, I encourage you to share your story. You can follow me on Instagram at Haunted and Historic. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review if you haven't already. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you in the next one.